live one here. <laughs> oh my god. Tom's been busy. What? What's the matter with this music? Nothing. This is entire this is as, as appropriate as it gets, gentlemen. Hello there, my name is Tom Chick, and you are listening to the quarter to three movie podcast. Get the fuck up! Oh my god. That's for the Dark Knight Rises. Get the fuck up! Yeah. I am here with let's see, Christian Mizinski. Yeah, it's pronounced Ibiza. <laughs> I well, we'll get to that in a second. Uh, and with a Dark Knight Rises tagline, Kelly Wan. Uh, is there a writer's strike going on that I don't know about? <laughs> That's a sign of things to come. Uh, so let's see, uh, Dingus. What did we? Uh, well, you know what? So. Uh, yeah, what, what did we see this week, Dingus? What what went down on the week of July? You mean what rose? Like yeah. parts. <laughs> so to speak. Dingus, without spoiling anything, uh, why don't you tell folks yeah. a little bit about... Leave that to the Nolans. <laughs> spoiler, hello. Hey, Wait, one more spoiler. Do you remember when you felt gypped by Black Sunday last week? Did you feel ungypped <laughs> this week? <laughs> No, we'll All get right. into that. We'll roll that uh, out before Dingus and see how he feels about that scene. So, But first, Dingus, without spoiling anything, uh, tell us a little bit about what movie we saw this week. All right, well, this week we saw The Dark Knight Rises, mm. a 2012 American action-adventure superhero comic book drama movie <laughs> about the Batman coming back after being gone for a while. Mm. Christopher just like Nolan, Superman. just like the Superman, I think you mean. Christopher Nolan directed the movie and co-wrote the screenplay with Jonathan Nolan and the story with David Goyer. Mm. It's based on characters created by Bob Kane, of course. It stars Christian Bale, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Tom Hardy, Michael Caine, Gary Oldman, Ben Mendelsohn, Anne Hathaway, Marianne Cotillard, and Heinz Ward. The Dark Knight Rises is rated PG-13 for intense sequences of violence and action, some sensuality... Mm. And language. Who is Heinz Ward, Dingus? He's a member of the Pittsburgh Steelers who ran all the way across the football. <laughs> Are you serious? That was that was an actual football player. Yeah. You know, wasn't there, wasn't I don't believe actual, a word of this. I do because wasn't there an, an actual senator in uh, Dark Knight? <laughs> the scene where she gets a senator to drive her to the? No, no, no. In Dark Knight, in the, the previous movie. Uh, when uh, the fundraiser that uh, Bruce Wayne is holding for Harvey Dent didn't like some senator actually make a cameo or, or some representative? Do you guys not know what I'm talking about? Is I know like- the guy who turned into water in the X Men movies was Prime Minister of New Zealand. <laughs> or, New- or no, uh, Nova Scotia. Well, the colors of the football team are the Steelers' colors, so it makes sense that he was in it. And I think uh, Roethlisberger, uh, Tom's favorite football player, was too. Right. Starting to talk about sports. So we're going to move on now. Uh, And I will tell you guys that uh, Dark Knight Rises, um, we don't know how well it did. Because of the shooting in Colorado, Warner Brothers, along with uh, other studios, opted not to release the weekend numbers until Monday. Oh, wow. 
however, they did, uh, you know, they still track all that, and the New York Times is reporting. Uh, <laughs> so someone doesn't mind doing it. Well, the studio just... Well, they're not going to officially announce it. Uh, you know, normally it's it's a cause for for celebration and one-upsmanship, and uh, there's a whole like jockeying thing going on. And the studios have just decided we're not going to do that. The the agencies that track this stuff are still gathering the data and passing it along, and naturally some of it's going to leak out. It's just the studios aren't going to crow about it. Uh, so next and- week when they go well for the two weeks, I mean. Right. Well, no, they they will tomorrow. I mean, we're recording on a Sunday night. On Monday, they will announce the numbers. Uh, just for whatever reason, they are delayed. It's a moment of silence. They basically, yeah, that's that's well put, Kelly Wand. But what we do pretty much know is that it opened with 162 million over the weekend. That's what the New York Times is reporting. Uh, that puts it in third place in terms of all-time openings behind uh, the Avengers and some Harry Potter thing. Oh. Um, <laughs> really. Wait, those are the top three grossing. Those are the top three, not open, just Harry opening Potter. weekends, it, not not grossing at all, Kelly Wan, because opening weekend is its own beast. You know what something makes on its opening weekend is a function of how it's marketed, how many theaters it opens in. I think it's actually number one in terms of the most screens ever. Uh, for, right, for I stopped film. listening about twenty seconds ago. Right. <laughs> at any rate, yeah. So it, it's, it looks like, and we won't know. We won't. It won't be verified until tomorrow. But it looks like it is now the number three largest opening movie of all time. So none of the top three top grossing movies are movies I give a shit about. That's how out of now, touch now, I am. See, grossing. We're not at all talking about top grossing though, Kelly Wan, because then you start. Again, this is just open it's opening week weekend box office, right? We, they they don't have enough information to calculate gross yet, right? This, is, this movie's going to run longer than just this weekend, Kelly Wand. It feels like it's still running in my head. <laughs> <laughs> well, what do you think of this thing, Kelly Wand? So uh, on Metacritic, where they track the average rating from reviews that give numerical or letter grades or whatever, uh, Metacritic, uh, Dark Knight Rises is at 78. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> hang on, let me... Put that into the machine. Okay, got Hold it. Hold on, now wait for this one, Kelly Wand. Rotten Tomatoes, which tracks the percentage of reviews that are positive on Rotten Tomatoes, Dark Knight Rising, 87%. So the transposed digits. Exactly. What do those mean? You're the, you're the math guy. It I'm means, the guy who asks the math guy what the math means. It That's just means that 87, that, that basically 9 out of 10 people who saw this movie were like, hey, thumbs up. Awesome. Great work. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Christopher Nolan. Two right. people went, I don't know. <laughs> Shut up, there's seven of us. It was just like the movie. Uh, so there we go. So now, Kelly Wand, uh, I'd like to get you in here now. Uh, I haven't been in the podcast you... enough yet. Well, why don't why don't you uh, sort of shine a little light on events that happened in this movie? I don't, I don't want to let any cats out of the bag at this point, but I, I thought it was a little convoluted. Yeah. So maybe, Kelly Wand, you could help me by recounting the plot uh so, I, so I'm a little clearer on what actually happened. Uh, oh, you mean a Dark Knight Ripsus? <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't flow quite as well as I'd hoped it might, but sure, I'll take that. Thanks for the setup, Tom. <laughs> I'll do that then. And the podcast will proceed with pace. The Dark Knight Ripsus. A CIA guy. Got so long too. All right, Kelly. A CIA guy. I know. It's so. I don't think I missed anything. Let's put it that way. I don't think anyone will make that charge. The Dark Knight Ripsus. A CIA guy. 
who talks and acts slightly like Matthew Modine, but will die even more arbitrarily, captures a scientist and some guys with bags over their heads and puts them on a plane without taking the bags off first. He interrogates them by asking them who Bane is, shooting guns near their heads and pretending to throw them out of the plane. One of the masked guys turns out to be Bane, who reveals he has a bigger plane flying right above them, and that all this is so he can interrogate them. Instead of having an even bigger plane flying above that one, <laughs> or shooting Bane in his unarmored eye, or taking that stupid shit off his face, the CIA guy tells Bane everything, and Bane uses some cables to rip the CIA plane cockpit off and send the fuselage crashing to the ground, although naturally we don't get to see the impact because payoffs might traumatize kids. If you think Bane's methods for conducting an interrogation are convoluted, what do you see how he rigs a football game? Although Christian Bale and Maul Ain look like they've aged only four years since we saw them last, eight years have gone by in bat time. During that time, Batman has honored Aaron Eckhart's dying wish by doing nothing, and Commissioner Gordon has honored it by pretending to hunt Batman. And I guess blaming him for all other crimes conducted throughout the Gotham area, except for Anne Hathaway's. She steals jewels, burglaries, which the cops refer to as having been perpetrated by a cat, because cats love precious stones. She's super agile and fights as awesomely as Batman used to and can disappear instantly, even from Batman's presence. But nobody in the movie ever gives a shit about where she got her powers. Despite said powers and her jewel heists, and successfully completing contracts to steal billionaires' fingerprints for other billionaires, she's broke and lives in a slum with her 14-year-old sidekick who doesn't have any powers. Unless getting in over her head counts. Meanwhile, Commissioner Gordon's giving a speech at a press conference. As you all know, today's the 8th annual Aaron Eckhart Day, the only national holiday ever celebrated by a single city. I thought I might read you the truth about its origins from these papers I keep in my coat pocket here, and that you all now see me slowly withdrawing into plain view. But no, it's not the end of the movie yet, so I'm now putting them back into my pocket. Thank you all for coming. Any questions? Yes, Kelly Wan, quarter to three. Some stone buffoon on the fringe of the crowd lowers his bong and goes, Oh, uh, yeah, I stopped reading comics when I was four. Uh, so that well with the bats in it's different from the pit of old men in turbans where Bane was born, right? But Gordon's asleep. Meanwhile, a congressman's hitting on Anne Hathaway, who's disguised as a maid. He's all, wouldn't mind seeing you in black leather with a whip, although renting Havoc's way better value. She raises a plate of hors d'oeuvres and goes, shrimp balls? He's all, listen, Missy, I don't know what you've heard from these other maids and Alfred, but they happen to be in the exact proportion of my gerrymander. <laughs> Meanwhile, Batman keeps his mom's pearls in a safe in the same room as his archery range. <laughs> Anne Hathaway is tiptoeing past the bullseye but despite her cat-like vagina, doesn't hear a middle-aged man with a cane pick up a bow and shoot an arrow at her face. <laughs> when he points out she's robbing him, she kicks his cane out of his hand, so he falls down, mocks him for being rich, and backflips out a window. Been on that date. Except for the, uh, being rich. From a suit of armor, a stone voice tinnily drones, 
So is the cane part of the secret identity disguise, or did he tweak his leg in the last movie? And if that was eight years ago, doesn't that suggest a serious injury that we'd notice signs of later? Alfred clanks the visor shut and goes, Master Wayne, unlike the next three hours, these (laughs) these past eight years have simply flown by. Batman staring into his safe. I guess she wanted my fingerprints, since I keep those in my safe for some reason. Alfred sobs and runs off waving his arms retarded. (laughs) Sidebar. Ever since the 3x3 about characters with disabilities, I've seen the light and now treat the handicapped the same way I treat everyone else. I steal their parking spaces, never hold elevator doors for them, and flip them off when they thank or ask me for anything. Meanwhile, Joseph Gordon-Levitt comes over and tells Christian Bale, Hey, yo, Officer Robin, uh, I'm an orphan here, see? (laughs) We all figured out you was Batman from this expression you had on your face this one time. So we all wanted to be like you, a billionaire with a bunch of tanks who somehow invented a fusion machine but never turned it on for some reason. So I became a beat cop. Christian Bale's all, uh, Joseph Lloyd <laughs> Levitt's all, that's okay, I'll let myself out. By the way, the orphanage went broke and no longer exists because you forgot to pay the bills or something. Thanks, fuckwad. <laughs> Alfred opens the door and comes in wearing an apron and scouring a skid mark from some gray leggings. This city needs a legend, sir, but not Batman. It needs Bruce Wayne. And Batman's all, uh, even though I lost all my money as Bruce Wayne and there's a wrestler doing shit with bombs, is one of us high? Alfred tries feebly to wipe his tears away with the skid mark and goes, Master Wayne, let me tell you some exposition. When you were in the Himalayas taking drugs and learning martial arts during that other eight-year gap during which you didn't age, every day I'd fly to the same restaurant in Italy and get the same table and drink the same sniffed of brandy by myself and fantasize that the young man I saw a few tables away was you on a date with Anne Hathaway. <laughs> I didn't know what you looked like, obviously, but it made sense at the time. Batman's all, fuck, Alfred, your life sounds so empty. Didn't you ever love anyone yourself, or are you totally sexless in addition to lovably subservient? Alfred runs off crying again, waving his feather. <laughs> Meanwhile, Anne Hathaway goes to a seedy pub to get paid for stealing Bruce Wayne's fingerprints from his mom's pearls. Just to be on the safe side, she brings along a congressman in a Hawaiian shirt that I guess her billionaire contacts don't automatically recognize to set at the bar and munch beer nuts while she, a chick he thinks is a maid, talks to some strange men at another table. Despite some needless complexities involving the thumbprint and her stupid sidekick, things thankfully degenerate into a pointless shootout. After the congressman shot for reasons he has no clue about, his last line to Hathaway is, Call me! A bit that was also in Jump Street. Way to purge the Schumacher, Christopher. Batman tells Morgan Freeman one man's tool is another man's weapon. He shows the French chick from Contagion a nuclear bomb he made out of seawater sometime during the eight years of limping around his mansion, moping over Maggie Gyllenhaal. Bane becomes a stockbroker. Batman takes Catwoman for a ride in a plane that Morgan Freeman just calls the Bat. Its capabilities include waiting in alleys and flying away from cops. Although Deus Ex Machina is technically a capability. Batman also, for no particular reason, invented a USB stick called Clean Slate that erases criminal records, which Catwoman wants, so she can have a fresh start. Although it seems like most of her heists have been executed solely to get a hold of the USB thingy that gives her the fresh start. Why not just steal the USB thing? <laughs> Batman's, like, holding it. 
What's a super acrobatic jewel thief who looks like Anne Hathaway supposed to do as a second career? I can think of one million. <laughs> to prove his lifelong love for the Wayne family, Alfred quits working for them and tells Batman about a letter he burned eight years ago. It doesn't have anything to do with anything. Batman makes a deal with Catwoman to set up a meeting with Bane, which is a success in that he loses a fistfight to him on a catwalk and gets his back broken. Instead of killing him, ba Bane blah, fuck, Instead of killing him, Bane flies him halfway around the world and puts him in this pit of old men with turbans, where supposedly Bane's the only one who climbed out of, and all they do all day is watch each other try unsuccessfully to climb out. We're also told Bane got excommunicated from Liam Neeson's Gentleman's Club for unspecified crimes. He's also Liam Neeson's son, but not really. Bane then flies back to Gotham. Anne Hathaway suddenly becomes incompetent and gets caught by ordinary beat cops while trying to board a train in broad daylight. They put her in a men's prison. The prison's overpopulated thanks to the Aaron Eckhart Act, which basically lets Gotham instantly imprison all criminals on site that Batman would have caught if he wasn't being hunted by the police. Or something. Commissioner Gordon shot and watches these incomprehensible plot points unfold on TV from his hospital bed. I can relate. Joseph Gordon-Levitt discovers motor oil a couple guys are putting on a truck and realizes the whole city sewer system has bombs in it, but also the bridges and other places. Matthew Modine, who's captain or something, sends every cop in the city, 3,000 of them were told, into the sewers via one entrance to get blown up by the bombs and sealed underground. Bane's other bombs cause a football field to collapse 10 yards at a time right after kickoff. Oddly, everyone on the other team runs towards the sinking pit. Nobody tackles the guy with the ball. He reaches the end zone and turns around and looks back at the giant pit. The crowd in the bleachers is silent. Bane comes out and gives an unintelligible speech that goes on for three minutes. He stops talking, gestures expectantly with both hands, triumphant. No one says anything. Finally, one guy stands up and starts doing a slow clap. The stone buffoon from the suit of armor earlier raises his hand and goes, Oh, so you wanted Joseph Gordon-Levitt to find the motor oil so all the cops would go in the sewers? Bane gargles some more. The stoner goes, Oh, he says Gotham's now ours, which means that we're going to hold uh, kangaroo trials for rich people and make them walk on frozen lakes. Bane gargles some more. The stoner goes, Also, Gotham wins 6 nothing. The crowd goes nuts. The band starts playing Louie Louie. <laughs> a few spectators from Rapid City are summarily executed and then raped. And probably a little disappointed. Meanwhile, all the cops in the city except Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Commissioner Gordon are stranded in the sewer. Since Bane's compassionate, he sends them food and water and hookers down on strings and G-strings, respectively. After three months of this pampering, the cops don't want to leave and fire shots at Gary Oldman when he tries to rescue them. Started improving on the movie. So, meanwhile, Batman's in a pit full of old men in India. He's still pretty fucked up from his go-around with Bane, but luckily one of the old men knows a thing or two about modern medicine and punches his vertebra back into his spine. Think you tore my lung, Batman whines. The old man's all, yeah, yeah, something spirit. Now for your dislocated scrotum. He draws his fist back. <laughs> Meanwhile, Bane lets the prisoners out and uh, of Gotham, not the Indian prisoners. Sorry if that was confusing. And steals all Batman's Batmobiles to use them for evil, or at least to drive them around doing nothing and slow stately patrols free of bloodshed. The criminals are now running Gotham. We don't see a single effect of this. 
on the average citizenry, but conditions are probably slightly worse, judging from the snow machines. Bane also turns Batman's MacGuffin into a bomb that's supposed to go off in a few days. Batman keeps trying to make this tricky platformer jump up the pit so he can escape. <laughs> fails twice before hitting on the witting combination of A, burdening himself with 50 pounds of rope first, B, waiting for the old men to start chanting Rise extra loudly because somehow they know this is going to be the right attempt, and C, end of the movie. Lowering a rope to let all the old murderers and rapists loose, Batman somehow flies back to Gotham and for some reason walks out on the precarious ice to meet Commissioner Gordon, who by chance has just been condemned to walk out on it at the exact moment. They agree the best plan is for Gary Oldman's stunt double to huddle on a careening truck, while Batman has another fistfight with Bane in the middle of hundreds of rampaging extras who have no interest in trying to kill either of them. (laughs) (laughs) And Matthew Modine takes on three parked Batmobiles with a twenty-two pistol and a frontal assault. (laughs) succeeds in that he fails and dies nobly. <laughs> Batman's rematch with Bane goes pretty well because this time Batman's angry, not afraid which I guess is the source of his bat-like strength. He also disconnects some of the eight nozzles on Bane's face mask, which <laughs> he's never tried before. <laughs> we weren't supposed to think of that. Unfortunately, the French chick from Contagion turns out only to have been posing as a billionaire philanthropist for three hours, love interest, and stabs Batman in the ribs with a knife because she's Liam Neeson's daughter. But instead of killing him, she goes, now my father's dream will be realized, and triggers the bomb that Batman built again. The stoner from the football game goes, wait, so was she excommunicated or was Bane, in which case did Liam Neeson know that Bane saved his daughter when he excommunicated him, and why was Bane helping her in the pit? Uh, was Lindelof not available? <laughs> I'm glad you're paying attention. Luckily, it all works out in the end. Joseph Gordon-Levitt heroically saves orphans by inciting some cops to blow a hole in the bridge in front of him so that he and the kids can't leave. Batman flies the bomb out to the ocean and lets it blow him up, although we learn he could have used autopilot and thus died for no reason. He turns his mansion into an orphanage and his Batcave into a robin orchard. As for Catwoman, she gets her criminal record wiped with the helpful helping of Batman tech, because fucking a congressman just doesn't buy what it used to. The end. All right. Uh, so that, that kind of explains a lot, Kelly Wand. Um, See? You. Now you're not in the dark. So you're like Batman in the dark right now. Well, the stuff I saw is actually what happened. That's what I was wondering about. Did you get um, the football game? Because that was a very... Uh, complicated comment on the American value system. Well, I now understand, you know, they didn't get to do the punt thing for the extra point, so that makes sense. (laughs) Right. You you did clear that up with the whole score bit. Thank you for that. Thus, the underclasses are in charge. Take that, extra point makers. Right. The rich people, the aristocrats, the kickers. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe there'll be new sports events in Gotham now that other people are running the show. I don't know. What, uh, uh, so you, you mentioned to Dingus that Dingus should be happy because this, the, the, the football game violence that Dingus always longed for in Bloody Sunday, he finally got it here. Dingus. Well, he didn't really. Sure, it, it trashed the whole field. Yeah, but no one got hurt except the football players. No, no, players. football they players. Get hurt yeah. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, no, they, they died. What are you talking yeah, but about? They're, they're mostly guys from the other city, A. B, none of the paying customers got hurt. 
That's what's important. Well, you know what? Let's check with Dingus. Dingus, <coughs> how much did that – how did you feel about this movie as a whole, and did that help you at all, the fact that you finally got the football violence you've longed for since you were deprived of it seeing Bloody Sunday as a child? Uh, it, it helped me because it was the Pittsburgh Steelers in question. And uh, as I've said many times, it's really difficult to like them, even though they are my beloved team of my youth, because Ben Roethlisberger, their quarterback, is a douchebag. So you're happy to see them fall into a pit of Bane's devising. But Heinz Ward, who survived it, is a good guy. I mean, he's a, he's a good guy, a good player. Uh, so it was good that he survived. I don't think he's ever done a punt return or a kickoff return, oh, but um, nice. but it's okay that he survived. And, and, I, and I, I hope the little boy who was singing survived, the one that Bane thought had a good voice. No, he's dead. No, they don't <laughs> leave those guys out. I read the novelization. <laughs> and uh, all right, so Dingus, how do you feel about the movie as a whole, though? So that scene worked for you. Get it whole. Because <laughs> the ground is um, I was distracted by the woman sitting next to me who kept squealing about things, and um, we're talking about the also movie. also shamed by the fact that when the usher said it was a two hour and forty five minute movie, I gasped, and she turned to me and said, "You didn't know," like in, a, <laughs> in an accusatory tone. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was a sucker for a lot of it, but ultimately, I was pretty disappointed. I want to hear about this lot of it that you were a sucker for, but first, Kelly Wand, how did you feel about? Dark Knight Rises. Wait, he didn't know it was two hours and 45 minutes. I agree with you. I had no idea. I don't pay any attention to marketing or any of that shit. I had no idea what the running time was. I don't I think just, the marketing I, would have wanted you to know that. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> they would have said, oh, no, it's three, it's it's 30 minutes. But you'll wish it was longer. Have, I could not have conceived of it being two hours and 45 minutes long. And actually, I think it probably would have helped it to have been longer. How about that? Put that in your pipe and see. Uh, uh, Okay. So it's so crowded in there already. It was so much more watered down than even my most cynical predictions. I remember Dark Knight being kind of violent and cool and edgy and dark, and I don't remember one on-screen death in this fucking pussified movie. Well, I I think that it I think that it really suffers from being a PG-13 movie in a way that The Dark Knight did not, and I think that's partly because it doesn't have a villain. Bane's a villain. What's the matter he's with you? He's supposed to be a villain. He's a henchman. He's a, he's, he's he's a, a compassionate... Ultimately, he's, he's a henchman. Their main villain is a henchman. But Sorry. that's the reveal. That's the secret. Darth Vader's a henchman. Anyway, yeah, Tom, yeah, Tom, yeah, Tom, he exactly. like, and he looks just like him. By the way, exactly. That's right. Kelly Wand has just pwned you. Every movie's the same. Good point. <laughs> Ergo. So, Tom, you great. loved this movie. Tell us why you loved it. Uh, I, I loathed it. I, I, I'm curious what you were a sucker for, because I... I there, there's pretty much literally nothing in this that I thought was worth sitting through. I feel like I wasted two hours and 45 minutes. I feel like it's a horrible slap in the face to what made Dark Knight so good. I am aghast that it is written and directed by the same team. Know. You know, this is the same team. Jonathan Nolan did the script with them. They even had David Goyer on board. Those are the guys that made Dark Knight so good. You know, I understand they don't have Heath Ledger, um, but... Even above and beyond that, there's there's nothing here that I'm Dingus. I'm curious to hear what you're a sucker for because there, there's literally nothing in this movie that I that I enjoyed, that I thought was worthwhile, that I thought was in any way a suitable follow-up to the last movie. I thought it was convoluted and ponderous. I didn't enjoy a single performance. I thought it squandered any groundwork that was laid in the last movie. Uh, I hated this thing. 
So, what about how unfunny it was when it was trying to be funny occasionally? It was doing like Joel Schumachery kind of lines. I mean, it, it's like it yeah, yeah. God. So that's what that feels that's, like. So was this so the that inf- was their joke? You know, they're going to do little jokes like that. Uh, the same jokes, like word for word jokes. Everything's the same. So was this the ending that was envisaged when they made Dark Knight, though? Was no, this what, good lord, no. Please. What did they want? Because Dark Knight ends on, like, uh, you know... Like Dark Knight this. doesn't need an end. I mean, Dark Knight's self-contained. It doesn't need an end. It's, it's not an Empire Strikes Back middle chapter of a trilogy. I thought it was supposed to be. No, Dark Knight has that kind of an ending. I don't understand I the ending I of Dark Knight. No, no, I disagree. I think Dark Knight is all about this idea that you're either... A, you, you, you... What is it? Like, you, you either die a hero, or you live long enough to become the villain. I mean, that's the whole point of Dark Knight. Yeah, it's open-ended in that there's the characters still go on and do things, but there's a perfect character arc there for all three of the characters. Uh, it's not like, you know, hey, somebody's being shipped off in Carbonite, we got to find out what happens to them. Uh, I don't feel like there's any of that that really needed to be... That said, I don't doubt, you know, a movie like Dark Knight that does that well, that makes that much money, of course there's going to be a sequel for it. Um, but I don't feel that any of the... The, 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 I, this movie just felt completely unnecessary to me. There was nothing that I needed to find it out. It could have been. Uh, I think it was possible to make a cool sequel to Dark Knight. I think. Sure, sure. Well, these guys, I mean, I wouldn't have thought it was possible to make a great sequel to Batman Begins. Batman Begins was fine. I mean, I'm okay with it. Um, but, yeah, there, there, I don't understand why this movie was so horrible. Uh, I, I just can't. I don't, I don't know why. These because guys, it's... Because it's a rehash of the first movie, and it doesn't understand the second movie. That's why it's so horrible. But I mean, I couldn't have, I couldn't have cared less about Ross Al Ghul. But how can the people who made the second movie not understand what made it great? I would, I, I would, I would maybe accept that and be resigned to it if it was maybe, like a new script or something. But how does that happen, Dingus? What happened? Maybe losing Heath Ledger broke them all the way losing like a limb like screws up a whole soldier sometimes. Could be. I mean, I, I yeah. But you, it didn't need to be about the Joker, though. I mean, the Joker. I that, know, but uh, they lost his energy and they lost his inspiration. I think they. I think that Kelly might be onto something because they were afraid to to tap into a whole new type of villain, and instead they just returned to the villain from the first movie and rehashed those themes. Themes I didn't understand anyway. About we need to unleash. Uh, I don't know chaos on Gotham, which, you know, which are things that the Joker is talking about as well, but are far more articulate. I mean, they just don't, there's no articulate villain in this, and, and it's ruined because of that, and they're going back to Ra's al Ghul, which I had enough of in the first movie. And the Joker and, and uh, Two-Face kind of go together thematically, but, like, you have Bane and Catwoman. There's yeah, that no felt really it. forced. I didn't understand why Catwoman was in this. That was just he, why, why would he hire her to get the figure? It's fucking. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it was terrible. And I didn't like Anne Hathaway. Like we're, we're, we're okay. Let's talk. Let's talk cast. How, how did She's you guys? Barely in it. Yeah, but their scenes together were just so flat. Like I just think of how much mileage they got out of the sort of the triangle between Aaron Eckhart, Maggie Gyllenhaal, and, and Christian Bale in the, the last movie. It didn't need a lot of screen time. Uh, and here, you know, you're right, Anne Hathaway's barely in it, but, but just nothing. I just... Th- yeah, well, but at least I have her to go on, and all the other scenes are boring, too. But, but So you, you liked Anne Hathaway? By, by comparison with Bane scenes, and there's tons of those. Yeah, they were just all flat for me. Okay. He's not okay. playing off of anybody. 
You know what? The whole thing, actually, if I were to have to sum this up, it felt like a two-hour and 45-minute origin story for Robin. Uh, yeah. It's <laughs> oh, and, and I loved, I loved Joseph, jo, uh, good God, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, so that was fine. thing is, you're That's so flustered always... by your affection for him that you can't even say his name. That's absolutely true. <laughs> Just say, I love that yeah. guy, and I loved him in this. He doesn't have a lot to, uh, he doesn't have a lot of flexibility, and I, and it's not really a surprise what happens in the end. It's not really a reveal in any way, even though people in my theater gasped. Um, but easy. I like him so much that I'm like, I'll just ride along. I'll do a ride along with this guy for the movie. That's fine with me. You know, he's riding along with 500 pages of sewer maps and a flashlight, and that's okay. And he tries to save the little kid. That, By the way, weakest <laughs> bridge detonation I have ever seen. I've seen many movies where a bridge is going to get blown up or it's going to collapse. We saw a great bridge collapse in the last Final Destination. When they blow the bridge in front of Joseph Gordon-Levitt and this, like, ten-foot section just kind of drops out of it, uh. I was like, that's... That's your bridge blowing sequence like that. The cop was going to shoot him first. Like, if you take one step, I will shoot you. If you take two steps, I will drop this 10 foot section out of yeah. the middle of the bridge after I shoot you. I'll do something less lame. <laughs> yes. Yes, better but, off taking two. But if you do the first thing, am I going to be able to do the second? Right. <laughs> right. Uh, there were broken promises. There, there were so many times during the movie where I just felt like nobody was paying attention to what was being said. And I certainly oh. couldn't understand it. Kelly Wan, that. That uh, scene where Bane addresses everyone in the audience of the football game. Someone has the trigger? I totally forgot about that. I, that was, I was like, what is he saying? What is his point? Like, if I was in the audience of that football game, I would have had to raise my hand, and I would have been like, um, I have some questions. Right. <laughs> Do you take follow-ups? I, I'm not really clear on what you're doing here. Can you clarify some of this the for guy me? With the, the thing on his face to also be the spokesman. Like, he doesn't even hire someone else for that. <laughs> right. He needs like I'm a. I'm the only one who can do the speech the way it needs to be delivered. He needs, he needs like his own mouth of Sauron or something. Right. Like he's not the guy to well, be. Well, they doing want that. his charisma to sell the crowd on the idea that <laughs> Gotham's now theirs, and one of them can blow it up at any time. Ergo, the good times are back. I've yeah, till the button goes off. What happened with his voice? I mean, what happened? Yeah, I mean, and what were they even thinking? Sean Connery thing that happens from time to time, and then what? What the hell? I mean, Tom Hardy knows how to act. Was it even him doing the voice? What the hell was going on? Yeah, so, Dingus, you talked before, I forget specifically, I think you might it might have been about Andrew Garfield. Like, you talked before about how a director, an actor is betrayed by a director. And I just can't help but think, you know, Christopher Nolan must have said, yeah, you know what, Tom, we're going to put this over most of your face. We'll, we'll be doing all your dialogue like ADR. You know, don't You'll love it. it. You'll love it. It's going to be great. It's going to be so great. We'll do a few different takes, maybe play with an accent for some of the takes. We'll put it together. and then You thought you got laid after This Means War. <laughs> You're not going to believe how much pussy falls on you after this role. It's We're so going to reveal your face. You're going to reveal your face once, and then you're going to get to cry a couple of times, and that's going to be awesome. Oh, it was so sad to actually, like, it was just ridiculous when he was just in the little tiny mask. And when you actually get that one glimpse of his face, I was like, yep. They wasted Tom Hardy, all right. You know, that was him in there. That was so sad. Oh, God. And so, Kelly Wand, you are our source material expert. Um, I actually, you know, maybe I'm, I'm I don't know the comics, that. but I know a lot about Batman from playing these two games made by Rocksteady called Arkham Asylum and Arkham City. So I have fought Bane personally a couple of times. Huh. Yeah. Whoa. So here's, what, here's what, what happens when you fight Bane. First of all, 
Bane's like enormous. He's not just like a guy, a, a weightlifter type dude. When you fight the real Bane, the dude's like the size of the Hulk. Now, here's another thing about the real Bane. He's got these tubes sticking into his back that feed him some kind of like, it's like a super soldier serum or it's something like that. So what you got to do when you fight him is you have a boss fight where you yank those tubes out, you see, and it weakens him. <laughs> So when they reduced it to those little bitty nozzles that Marion Cotillard was fiddling with at the end, yeah. like trying to stick them back like in. Like a baby bottle. It really was. <laughs> yeah. He's baby Huey. As he, uh, that was like, this is a terrible thing to do to Bane. Uh, Let's get but, a handsome British actor to play this guy, obviously. Cover his face with a mask. Yep. Go on. Shave his head. Go on. Stick tubes in his back, or stick tubes of his, of his nose. Not yeah, I guess they were no, yeah. I forget what else he wore though. No, it was just it was like a humongous mask, but with a you could see his eyes like it was a, you know it was just a, never was changed breathing thing. Yeah, and then he wore, he wore a vest and cargo why do kids pants. like that character? And he he had knee pads on too, just in case. And he had a big old high fuzzy collar too. But why is he off, Why is he considered? I get Bane, Spawn, and Venom mixed up because they all have the same kind of name. And two ah of them right are right. Well, like, uh, Venom's the only one I know at all. Like the Spider-Man suit is the one I kind of get. That's like, but Bane's after my time, so I don't know why. But I'm told he's supposed to be South American. Right, it's like a luchador kind of shtick. This is all because he's wearing a luchador mask in in the comics and in the video games, which are the, you know, which is what the comics come from. They come from right. a video game. Uh, so here, I I don't I don't I mean I don't know what they were thinking. I, I, they did such great work with the Joker and Two Face. And here, just the stuff with Catwoman and Bane, and Ugh. just felt so obligatory. But I will say, from having played the video game and being a, a source material expert on Ta Tasha, Talia, Tanya, what was her Talia, name? Talia, Talia Al Ghul. Al Ghul. <laughs> that was a cool reveal, because they do some cool stuff with Raz Al Ghul and Talia Al Ghul in Arkham City. So, like, that was a good... I don't know about a good bit of fan service, but that was a bit of fan service where I felt qualified to say, oh, I see what you guys are doing, I kind of approve you know, I, I still hate the movie. There's nothing good here. But at least as a it's bit of It's at least got a twist. Like yeah, it's at least got a twist. Right. 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 Um, so, yeah. I'm a little... Did, so, was she an awesome fighter that we never got to see fight? Yeah, well, she's, in the, she's a member of the League of Shadows. She's a card-carrying League of Shadows member, I believe. So, that's right. She didn't fight, did she? Oh. No, not at all. She so just she, took somebody. Yeah, she knows how to twist a knife. So, there's that. Yeah, and by the way, so am I correct? As science, <laughs> she's a scientist, philanthropist, billionaire. None of which, right, comes from her actual skill set. Right, her, and, and she's also is her plot to detonate a bomb manually like two minutes before it's going to go off anyway. Yeah, <laughs> is that what? Was That's that? what I got. Dingus, explain that. You're the yeah, Dingus, expert. help us out here. I've seen your your portrait on Tom's Skype. <laughs> her her uh, plot is to flood a tunnel. Uh, and are they trying she's... to? Are they trying to kill Lucius Fox down there? Because they failed at that, by the way. Yeah. No, I they're they're trying I... to keep them from reconnecting the, the sphincter to the codpiece. There was so like... much doodad-based drama in this, by the way. Let's give Gary Oldman a little silver box, and he's going to run around with that for a while. Um, <laughs> 
let's except yeah. for them cutting away from any violent anything they make <laughs> up for it in gobbledygook now will somebody explain to me why the pg-13 from this movie is so less effective than the pg-13 from the dark knight because i don't remember the dark knight suffer i don't remember dark knight was an r-rated movie in disguise that's what yeah. i remember thinking when i saw it well dark knight well, well, joker, got away with joker never suffers from pg-13 but this totally does bane never i mean he cracks the scientist's neck and we don't see that there's yeah. ah right right nothing that even that works remotely as far as menace is concerned in this movie yeah, yeah. Uh, what, what, yeah i got i got nothing for you that's awesome well, no, because they show plenty of shots of people getting shot point blank and killed, including cops, by the way, in Dark Knight. You know, there, there are plenty of, you know, there's no blood, of course, but there are plenty of, hey, I'm shooting this guy, I've killed him. You know, and, and there's even the scene where uh, Heath Ledger's in the, the jail afterwards. He says, how many of your friends did I kill tonight? You know, they, they've just come in from a, an action sequence in which six cops get shot, get killed. Uh, and I don't recall anything like that. Like, all the cops get there's- closed underground for a few And there's months. tons of other murders, too. Like, Gordon comes to power because the other guy drinks the poison. It's like, the Joker's right, right. superpowers, he's always got, like, nine things going on at the same time. He can seem to get in anywhere. And you buy into it because his acting's so good. You go, yeah, this guy could just... <laughs> he just knows what he's doing. And he blows the guy up from inside with a cell phone, for instance. Yeah. So he makes and human the, bombs. And, uh, yeah. and the pencil moment. I mean, yeah, for yeah. some reason... Uh, Christopher Nolan's ability to film things like the pencil moment, which wa- watching The Dark Knight again this week, you don't see at all. But in my head, I feel I, it. You feel it very well said, yeah. Kelly Wand. And there's nothing like that in this movie. There's there's nothing. And I, I think maybe part of it is that, and I said this during the character introduction three by three. Uh, the character introduction of the Joker is perfect. The character introduction of Bane is horrible. Uh, that yeah. they're. You made fun of it in a little way, but the guys with bags on their heads and the CIA officer is threatening them with a drop that they can't see? I don't right. understand. What? <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's a good it, point. It they, all, may not, they don't even need to be on the plane. He could be faking that. Yeah. <laughs> we we just fire up the engines. <laughs> it's even stupider than I thought it was. Thank you, Dingus. I'll have to rewrite the offices to accommodate. But, but all I think is, uh, wait, they still have the bags on their heads, and you're showing them a drop they can't see. Oh, okay, one of these guys is Bane. Fine. Uh, but it's, it's, it's a squandered opportunity, and it's like nobody told them, go back, rewrite it, try again. And then I get impatient because I can. You start noticing the lines are just setup lines because then the guy's like, "Oh, is this part of your mess?" Like he's saying stuff that you know there's going to be like the Bane punchline too, and you're like, oh, "I got to wait for the thing." Diggis, <laughs> uh, you mentioned early on that there are things in this movie that you are a sucker that you're a sucker for a lot of it. I believe that's a quote. I wrote that Joseph down. Joseph Gordon-Levitt was one of them. Yeah. So there's JGL. What else are you a sucker for in Dark Knight Rises? I have to name more things than Joseph Gordon-Levitt. <laughs> Yes, he's not. He's only three things. Well, was there more? Yeah, I'm a I'm a sucker for the volume of it, uh, in both in both ways. Uh, I, <laughs> and part of it is that there was a, a woman sitting next to me who was squealing about things like when um, when the bat cycle turns and the and the wheels flip laterally. When Been there, done that, saw that strange in the fiction. Movie. <laughs> That's she, from the last movie. She was squealing about that, and I couldn't help but sort of get suckered into it. And then um, when uh, wait, hold when on, Luke- so hold that thought because I, I want to mention why I, one thing that I hated in this movie, and then we'll get back to the things that you love, Dingus. I want to hear about. You can cut I, in on any of these. 
Well, there, there was no so. Uh, you know, Batman Begins introduced the awesome Batmobile, and then there's a great reveal for the new Bat Cycle, which they made great use of in Dark Knight. And here, he gets like a Bat UFO, or what that, I don't know what uh-huh. that was, but it had no personality. It did not look cool. It looked like it was made from Legos. The the chase scene with it was a total. I, I mean, I don't know if it's because I know a little bit about like how movies get made, but James Cameron in Terminator Two put a helicopter on a crane and drove it along behind a tanker truck for the climactic scene, and they digitally erased the uh, the helicopter. So, so back then, the that crane. was the, the crane, right? Sorry, that would be that I would like be a, a bad. Right yeah, that would be a bad aesthetic <laughs> choice. <laughs> uh, so so here, it just looked like. You know, an action sequence from when was Terminator 2? Like 84. Like it was this 20 year old technique where they just obviously mounted this dopey looking practical effect on another vehicle and then drove it around behind the big truck. Like I thought it looked stupid. And then, like, that whole chase was awful. Um, and and then it was doing like if it's a, if it's a UFO that flies it should be up there shooting missiles down I, I don't know what it was yeah, supposed it to do fight. all it does is run away yeah and, and I don't in, I don't know what made it cool if anything in the dark night the bat cycle they're trying to protect Harvey there there's there's an actual mission for them to do and Batman has to like actually intercept fire from the Joker's trucks and stuff so he's trying to do something specific but in this they just use that plane to like run away from. Well, and they, he does like a straight female, yeah. But I don't, and it wasn't. I don't. Was it a plane or what? Whatever. And it seemed Kelly Wan like it was a setup for that one. You know, their little gag. They're going to get their gag line in. Where Anne Hathaway says, "My mom said not to get in cars with strange men." This isn't a car. You know, that seemed like that was the whole purpose for that. <laughs> he show. showed was, her. Was, was Richard uh-huh. Nixon in this movie? <laughs> That's my come on. That's my. Why is he? Get, she knows who he is, and he still does that stupid voice. She knows he's Bruce Wayne, and she's kissed him twice, and then he's still doing the fucking dumb. Uh, all right, so Dingus, what's something else that you you said you were a sucker for a lot of this movie? So let's see. You liked the fact that your wife. I'm assuming the woman next to you was your wife. Uh, that she. No, enjoyed. it wasn't. It was some woman who was there with her husband. Oh, oh! I thought you were being coy and talking about your that wife. Sounds okay. juicy. So you like? No, no, not at all. <laughs> so you like? She it. was. She was talking to me about the length of the movie, <clears throat> and um, and, and then you when were Lucius, about the volume. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Both and then when Lucius says, uh, when Lucius asks if Batman's why he's come out of cryo sleep, and and Batman says he's retired, and Lucius just goes. Well, I'm going to show you some stuff anyway. That woman next to me goes, yay, stuff, and starts clapping. Oh, my God. What? There's the target audience that focus grouped the movie. That's the that's the 87% right there, that uh, yeah. Rotten Tomatoes. All right, stop. Stop. Wait, wait. I just want to make sure I heard you right. The word stuff was what she was keyed off. She literally said, yay, stuff, and yay, clapped. Stuff. And then we got to see the bat, not the bat copter or anything, the bat, which does really look like sort of a piece of tinfoil that has been folded over a fan. Um, but it, And then it reminds me the way it flies. It's funny that you bring up James Cameron, but it just reminds me of one of those aliens um, landing vessels, but not as well designed. Yes. You never get a sense of, of the interior or of the actual... Yeah physical or the physics of it it just sort of is this thing that looks like a piece of tinfoil that's been slapped on a fan that he flies around um unfortunately i'm not been doing a very good job of, I, I i was kind of swept up in the music and the length uh, and the uh i got emotional at the end 
until the very end. I got emotional at the at the fake ending. And I think because I like Joseph, Joseph Gordon-Levitt so much. All right. Can Unfortunately, I, want- I don't think I can give you much more because I was so disappointed by it. I mean, I was just disappointed by the fact that there's not really a villain, and there's not a villain that makes any sort of contact with you or articulates anything. Yeah. And... And and all of the slap fights between Michael Caine and Bruce Wayne make no sense to me. It's a worst-case scenario of how you... Uh, wait. Slap fights between who? Michael Caine and Bruce Wayne. Slap fights? Yeah, it's they have this whole thing of, like, I didn't want you to come back to golf. Oh, yeah, you're calling... Well, okay, I can't- well, I quit. Uh, well, right. Fine. So, Dingus, where you call those slap fights, it, it was like he was suddenly this doddering, weepy old man... Just like an old fool, which I hated because, again, one of the really cool things in Dark Knight is you got the sense that Michael Caine was a guy who fought in Burma once and burned down an entire forest to get abandoned. Like he's got – like that's the Alfred moment that's just so fantastic in Dark Knight. And here – I didn't know, like, so much of the movie. I didn't know what he wanted or what he was asking for. Did he want Christian Bale to get back in there? Did he not want him to get back in there? Were they just giving him some reason to, like, cry and look weepy? I didn't understand any of what they were going for with Alfred here. Uh, I, I just hated that because he was so cool in Dark Knight. And here, just, oh, good Lord. That's true of a lot of the characters, unfortunately. The Doctor in the Pit... I mean, he starts by saying the, pro- the reason you fail is because you fear. <laughs> and then the next thing he says, the reason you fail is because you don't fear. <laughs> Which is it? Are you going to be Yoda or somebody else? Which is it? And I, and I got the sense that they just, they just wrote whatever the fuck without any, with a- any regard for character whatsoever. Kaliwanda, you've made a great point. It, it felt like there was a, a, a lot of Lindelof in there. It really it didn't tough. feel like yeah. Uh, Kelly One, you said you thought it should have been longer. Really? I did. Yeah. No, I, what the hell did you say? Lent? Oh, Dingus said that. That's Dingus? Okay. So that's Dingus wanting more of the length Wait, and volume. I, I have written down here it should have been longer. Yeah. I, I said that because I got the feeling with as long as it was that we were still transitioning between scenes with this, um, this fraught Hans Zimmer music, which still as overbearing as it is i i tend to get to be a sucker for some of that kind of music in a movie like this because the the, it's just pumped in with so much volume that i feel overwhelmed by it and kind of fall for it sometimes um but the 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 scenes seem to have no transition and i and i felt like they were cutting things out like where like how marion cotillard would go from one scene to the next or like half i i i just felt like I think they're missing some things here. Why, why, why are we having these tribunals at this point? And what is Bane doing from here to here? And why it is the mill? We won't care. And I also think it doesn't matter. But I wonder, like after I saw the movie Heat, my feeling after seeing the movie Heat was it should have either been an hour shorter or two hours longer. Um, and I love the movie Heat, but I feel like I missed out on all this mythology. And I think ultimately I'm wrong in wanting that for this movie, but I, I have to wonder why I feel like there's so much lack of connective tissue between some of these scenes in a movie this long. I think part of what's going on is that it is, and I don't intend this as a compliment because it's not, but it is an ambitious script in that it wants to be about... Um, Class warfare. Uh, exactly. This cra- class revolution 
but, but with a nuke. Like it wants yeah. to basically be that that what was done in, in a much more muscular way in that fairy scene in Dark Knight. Like it wants to expand that out into a, a larger scope into a citywide story. You know, with what if all the cops were imprisoned? Like it, it's a little ridiculous, uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if it was from straight from one of the comic book lines. Um, but it's ambitious to try to get all that in there and then also get in there Catwoman and then also get in there two times where Batman basically retires. Like it starts with him in retirement, have to come out of retirement, and then he goes to prison and has to come out of that retirement. Like they do that twice. All of those are separate from that class revolution thing. You know, it wants to get in this weird thing about what if Bruce Wayne went broke. You know, it wants to do that. Um, so there, it's an ambitious script and it's trying to pack in a lot and it just doesn't, it, it's just not muscular enough to tackle all those things. Um, and, and so that's what I think is going on, Dingus. Uh, you know, I, I think this thing is doomed from the start if that's the script that they were going to work from. Uh, like, like you said with Heat, you either need to, it needs to be two hours longer or you need to lose not just an hour, but, but lose fully 50% of what they're trying to do with this script. Um, but did they go? All right, you have to put Bane and Catwoman in it, and then send them into a room, the Nolans, and they just have to like figure it out. Well, that did. I wouldn't be surprised, Kelly Wand, if you know we need a, a menacing villain, we need something to appeal to the female audience. You know, I, we, I, it does feel like it's this kind of studio, like there were studio mandates about certain things. What was there for the female audience? Catwoman. She's, I think she's there for the male audience. The female audience wants Catwoman? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's supposed to be a strong female character to appeal to women. Like, don't you think that's what they think they're doing with Catwoman? Because she steals jewels. Because she stands up to Batman. Because she's... She fights. She's a badass in her way. Yeah, she's got a daughter that she has Mm. to look out for, or whoever that other chick was. She (laughs) she fights for the oppressed, but she also wants... Stop making! I don't want to see right. more superhero movies. How? When are we? We is this the last one for this year? Uh, I think so. Unless you consider Jason Bourne a superhero. Uh, I consider him many superheroes, Tom. Oh, you know, and it's not even Jason Bourne. It's whoever uh, Jeremy Renner is. Yeah. He says his name. He's got. He's one of those guys with two. No, no, don't, don't. Yeah, I don't know. I did like. I will. I will say this. I did like. Um, even though, you know, they they do nothing to explain like what Catwoman is or what she can do or where she came from. Like she's just. She's. A, I did like though how when she puts her little. I don't. Were they night vision goggles or protective glasses or whatever? When she puts them up, those are her cat ears. I thought that was kind of cute. Did you guys catch that? Wasn't that cool? I wasn't looking at her face. She's on the All right. cycle at one point. It's like from behind, and then Nolan cuts away almost instantly. <laughs> Uh, I didn't think this everyone else flattering. This is brilliant. What? Uh, you know what? I don't know. It's just people are afraid to... I, I think it's one of those reviews, like Amazing Spider-Man, where people are like, yeah, it's good for a superhero movie. And it's big, and it's loud, and it's got famous... It's got celebrities it's in it, so... Movie. Wait, who's well, saying now it's that good we have for things a like, 
No, that's why I'm. That's my guess as to why I think it's getting so many positive reviews. People are just. Is people are just. They have lower expectations. Yeah, yeah exactly. Movies. Their bar is so low. They'll just. If it's two. If it's two hours and forty-five minutes long, they are. It's. I sat for two hours and forty-five minutes, and then that's good value. Yeah, so it's got to be good, right? Uh, let's do a three by three. It's yeah, the middle of uh, middle of Ju- July, late July. So our three by three is uh, best uses of summer. It's in mid a- late July. That's correct. It's mid-, mid to late July. Yep. Uh, if only like- there was a name for it. <laughs> July twenty. Some- I, I don't even know what that meant. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was just gonna say, oh, we should just whatever the day is is the name. By the way, if I had done worst uses of winter. I would have uh, I would have picked for my, my three uh, no Dark Knight Rises. They they had all these like winter okay. scenes where they would plop like literally like a handful of snow. Heat. <laughs> That's <laughs> the most half-assed fake winter I've ever seen. It really seen. was. It really was. And I've I seen was a little seen, stunned. Yeah, living in L.A., we've seen plenty of like fake winters where somebody shoots in L.A. and they just spray foam or whatever to look like snow. But man, that's you know their budget. With the budget that big, you'd think they would have done better wintertime golf. Just not set in winter. Just go well. <laughs> <laughs> and there's no, no one person. Reason. I don't think one person tried to look cold. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know. Matthew Modine's wearing like a, sh- a sweater. <laughs> uh, so, but our three by three is not about worst uses of winter. I thought it was going to be like a sh- a sh- I'm sorry, Tom. One yeah, last yeah. dark night observation. Just, like I thought, oh, it's going to be winter because they're gonna, they're setting up like winter is going to play a role in the final battle, and then we don't see the final battle. Well, yeah, we do. There's like snowflakes. That's true. I don't know if those were digital, but yeah, there's little uh, snowflakes. It's like the end of Crash. Spoiler. Oh, that one. All right, let's do a three by three, though, not about winter, but about summer. These are your best uses of summer in a movie. I think we're all going to have the same three or at least the same two movies. Really? I kind of regretted this after I picked it because I was like. that few? Well, I think there's kind of a problem here. Um, Summer. Like, you can do movies about... Like, like, winter has a much stronger visual component. When a movie wants to, like, play with seasons or do that kind of shifting of time, uh, it can it can play with winter much better. Uh, hot weather is... You, you know, you can do that in a movie, but I, I don't know. I, I just think this is a bad pick. I don't know. We'll see what we come up with. Well, I have a worse one. So. We're good. Yeah, maybe you can top uh, my summer pick, and uh, I won't feel as bad. But until then, so Kelly Wan, because you are introducing next week's three by three, you go first. I thought I go last because I'm introducing. Mm, what is that true? Yeah, isn't it? Isn't that? It's like you get punished if you're picking the. Pick. No, I go last. Go. So I picked it, so you guys both have the opportunity to scoop me. Dingus. Yeah, Dingus. Explain the rules to Tom. Right. Yeah. Uh, what Tom said. Yeah. Damn it. All right. Fine. So you, you owe me five bucks. I know, I know one of the ones Tom's going to pick, and I think it's great, but I went with a different interpretation so as to avoid that. Oh, good. All right. Well, Dingus, I'm pretty sure you know two that I'm going to pick. I only have one that might be a little bit of a surprise, and only because I don't think you guys have seen it in forever. But, Kelly Wan, we're starting with you. What is your number three choice for best use of summer in a movie? My childhood memories are always very summer-themed, because that's when things were really eventful. Mm-hmm. That has nothing to do with what I'm about to say. My number three... <laughs> just thought I'd let you know that. For no reason. Uh, my number three is Weekend at Bernie's, because 
Simmons. <laughs> Just as I was saying how I thought Winter was going to play a role in the fight in Dark Knight Rises, it's like Weekend at Bernie's, what could only happen in summer, because there's a scene where uh, they... First off, everybody's already drunk, so it's less of a stretch. They'd be fooled that a guy's alive. And also, a chick sleeps with the corpse, and necrophilia only works in summer because if it was winter, it would be too cold. So my number three is Weekend Bernie's. Uh, all right, Dingus, what do you got to top that? <laughs> I like necrophilia only works in summer, and I like to hear the NBC, the more you know theme in my, my head when he says that. All right, my number three. Uh, all right, so... Um, You're welcome. Uh, thank you. Did Universe. you what you wanted to say? No, sorry. You're welcome, slaves. Uh, I, I just went with movies that give me... Um, that make me feel about summer the way that summer can feel like it's a bubble. Um, like it's this separate period of time, kind of. Mm-hmm. Um and I, and there's I have a, a couple runner runners up that have summer scenes in them that I really like, but I went with movies that take place all all the whole movie is during a summer. So the the first one the the quote from it and I, I don't think either one of you can get this, uh, but it's uh, you missed my pocket again, Miss Unger. That sounds dirty. Odd couple. It is a little dirty and. I, I haven't – this is probably going to be – I'm going to be very ashamed of this pick uh, because I have not seen it since the movie came out in 1984. Um, and I didn't realize who directed it until I looked it up again. Um, and so this is, I think, the first time I've had a Gary Marshall movie on any of the lists. Ah, uh, good choice. What? I think I know what it is. What do you think it is? Flamingo Kid? Yeah, very good, Kelly Wand. That's a good movie. Uh, Tom doesn't appreciate it. I can't imagine that it would be good, but I remember having such great feelings about it. I mean, it came out in 1984, and again, I don't remember much about it, but I just love that sense of this kid after school getting a job in a situation that's, that's above his pay grade or above his class status, which is... One of the the first waiting tables job I had was at a country club, and that was not something that my family ever could have been a member of. And and being involved in that world in a peripheral way, and uh, and I really liked. I remember really liking um, the Matt Dillon performance, and that just that that sense of of having a beach romance, and and being in this situation at the beach in the summer after school is done and before you have to join the real world i just love that little bubble that that exists and and then finding out it was gary marshall kind of puts a damper on it but nevertheless i'm going to choose it because i have really fond memories of the flamingo kid all right so congratulations to gary marshall for finally making a three by three (laughs) if you're listening gary you've made it janet jones in her prime huh dingus oh yeah huh you know i'm talking thank you oh yeah and his dad was a plumber. Is Hector Elizondo, right? Very good. Yes, yes. And Richard Crenna as the Ginnarelli player. He's got the yeah. He's cheating his friends. He's got the awesome TV remote control. And then uh, yeah, it's and a he, good movie. Did he run a car dealership? What did he do? Yeah, that's how he made his ill-gotten gains. 
I think. Was that his thing? I don't know what it was, that but it was sound right though. Thing where he where he was promising Matt Dillon a, a big position as a salesman, and then it turns out that oh no, you're just going to be a stock boy. So maybe it wasn't a car dealership because car dealerships don't have stock boys. I don't remember what it was, but he was something where he was offering Matt Dillon a big position, but you know. It's like the same arc with of Caddyshack, where it's like Ted Knight is offering Danny Noonan a scholarship, and he's banging his daughter, Cindy Reynolds. And uh, Caddyshack probably a much better movie. So, but uh, but I just have really fond memories of the Flamingo Kid. But he didn't knock up the Irish chick. Mm. Flamingo Kid. That's the difference. All right, Flamingo Kid. Dings was number three pick. Oh, uh, interested. I I don't know the first thing about that movie. Uh, <sighs> sorry, Tom. I don't watch Gary Marshall movies, Kelly Wand. What can I say? Me and Dingus are from the East Coast, so it means a lot to us. Oh, point of pride. Maybe I'll see. Uh, what's the last one he did? Gary Marshall. Uh, Valentine's Day. I'll see Valentine's Day. Isn't, isn't Jessica Biel in that? They're all in it. All the Jessicas are in it. <laughs> I hear she gives good wife, by the way. Jessica Garner's in it. Which one does? Which gives? Oh, no, no. Oops, that's that's Kate Beckinsale. I'm screwing up my uh, oh, interchangeable characters. In never screw up Kate Beckinsale. Yeah. Uh, How come Penny Marshall doesn't make dumbass movies anymore? Uh, she's busy. Doing what? Other things. Interesting. <laughs> Remember when they moved to California, but she really didn't go? No. Okay, go. <laughs> My number three, I'll give you guys a line from it. Uh, let's see. Oh, okay, here we go. It's 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 his fault. He, he made me do it. God, I couldn't see this coming. <laughs> I didn't. I tried not to put it on there, but I couldn't very well not do that, right? Christmas story. <laughs> I tried not to put it on there, and I succeeded, because I felt like that doesn't make me feel happy about summer. Well, that's not my objective. My objective is a movie that uses summer to good effect, and Jaws certainly does that. Uh, uh, certainly does. Yes. Why, why are you going, eh, Kelly Wand? Uh, Those are summer obvious, colors, Kelly. Too summer. easy. It is too easy, I know. But my other two I actually worked harder on. Uh, but come on, Jaws is its quintessentially, like, it's, a, it's all Get about... It. Get you, it? You can't... <laughs> <laughs> Good job, you're a genius. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, you you uh, couldn't very well have Jaws take place any other time of year. Like, it's all about how the mayor wants the beaches open for Fourth of July. It's all about how uh, Amity is like a summer getaway. Uh, it's that's true. You know, it's 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 just you know, it's got to be a it, it's got to use summer. Uh, the shark is exploiting summer. Right. Yeah. It's very right. smart. Tom, you don't you don't get it, Tom. Summer is over. Sorry. Is that was that your was was that you doing a is that a Hooper or a Brody line, Dingus? Either one. It's a quintessential right. line. <laughs> All right, so there's my number three. Uh, let's move on to our number twos. Kelly Wand. What? Nobody else had Jaws on their list because it was. I didn't want to talk about Jaws. It's like talking right. about fucking equals and I, I was looking forward to talking about. Uh, Jaws, because I knew Tom would have it on the list, but I decided to go a different way. But I, I think it's a great pick because it was bugging me all week to want to put it on there. I think it just seems weird to do a podcast on the internet after three years and do one on summer, and then all right, Jaws, like what are we? Well, how can you? I, I, I mean, yeah. I to in the defense of Tom, I mean, I, I avoided it with a, a goofy pick of the Flamingo Kid, but you can't really assail Tom's pick. It's a perfect summer movie. No, I don't. The idea of what a blockbuster is, and, and the idea of oh, right, never mind. 
I also saw it on a summer, like an outdoor screening, Fourth uh, of July screening at the Hollywood Cemetery. That was uh, that's appropriate. It's it's not just appropriate, Kelly Wand. It is perfect. Have you have you ever seen it at sea? You <laughs> <laughs> mm. good points. Very good. Kelly Wand, what is your number two pick for best use of summer in a movie? My number two is a movie. I'm very upset at you for not watching, even though I keep putting it on my list and you keep ignoring me. It's Gummo, oh. right? Gummo. No. Oh. The Gummo of the 70s, maybe. Bad news bears, brah. Let me explain something to you, Tom. Does baseball in, happen in summer? Uh, yeah, it does. Okay. That's why we have it. Oh, boys of summer. Aren't those baseball players? Isn't that know. what that means? Look, that's, that's not important right now. What's, what's important is the Bad News Bears came out in 1976, which is when I was, I think, seven? Anyway, whole point of summer, Tom. I don't yeah. know how you grew up. When yeah. I was a kid... Yes, Kelly. It's not just three months off when you're young, mm-hmm. but it's a chance to settle grievances that are too in-depth for the schoolyard. And that's what Bad News Bears is about, without giving too much away. All right, so uh, Bad News Bears go to Japan. Is that is that the one you're picking, Kelly Wand? No, that takes place in winter and autumn. <laughs> so just vanilla Bad News Bears. And this is the one with Billy Bob Thornton, right? All right, so my number two, I've got a quote from it. What I really want to do with my life, what I want to do for a living, is I want to be with your daughter. I'm good at it. Armageddon. Nope. Oh, uh, The Wackness. <laughs> ah, right. It is not The Wackness. It's a movie called Say Anything. Ugh. <laughs> Just wait till I get to my number one. You guys are going to be groaning again all right so say anything is certainly not a beach movie or any of that conventional idea but it takes place uh directly after high school graduation and over the course of a summer and um again as i was talking about with my first or my my third choice um i love the the summer bubble that this movie exists in because it reminds me of graduating from high school or Getting out of college and going to Beach Week, and uh, and falling for somebody I probably couldn't have fallen for in high school or in college, uh, because Lloyd Dobler um, falls for a girl, or he's always been into this girl Diane, uh, but he never could have had her in high school. She just wasn't his type, and his friends wouldn't have let her go out with him and or let him go out with her and her friends would let her go out with him not that she had enough friends to make that happen but in the bubble that is summer they they made this happen and and realistically she should have moved on to a different life but he has the summer to convince her hey run off to england with me just for a trip even though her her overbearing father is saying no don't do this but but because of the bubble that is summer in the specifically the way summer works after you you're done with high school and and you're in this weird transitional period between uh what you've done and where you're going to go in life um i i just love say anything and i love that it exists during a summer even though it's in seattle and they're not really going to the beach or anything Kelly Wand, what do you bet that Dings' number one pick is Grease? <laughs> or Stand By Me. Now that actually could have been a that could have been that could be my number one pick. Or oh, two. Yeah. They're both my favorite musicals. <laughs> Alright, so say anything, another movie by Gary Marshall. Uh, did girls really go for like was that the smooth move then was to hold a ghetto blaster over your head outside her house and like wake up people in her yes. name? 
Yes, that totally works. Does that work with an iPod? And what's cool, and I think I, I might have said this last week, or maybe I just talked to Tom about this, but Pamela Adlon, who uh, is executive producer on the Louis C.K. show. And one of the characters on it. One of the characters is in this movie as one of the one of his high school friends, and it's so great to look at those pictures of her after seeing her in uh, in Louis. Um, it's, I just had, had no idea that was her until I, I started looking at pictures from this movie. You want to know something else funny? Cynthia Nixon, who Kelly Wan knows well from Sex in the City and Youngblood, uh, is one of the little girls in Little Darlings. She's the little hippie chick. Oh. Wait, Little Darling should be on my list. Well, you've still got... We'll get to your number one in a second, so consider changing it. Uh, well, just think about it. Give it, all right. give it some thought. Thanks, Tom. All right, my number two is not Little Darlings. It is instead... Because that is a summer movie. It is instead uh, Body Heat, which has a lot of great... Because I'm assuming it's summer. It's actually set in Florida during... like They talk about it's a heat wave and it's super hot. I'm... I, I'm not entirely certain that it's summer, but it's summer-like enough that I'm going to call it as a summer thing. Uh, and specifically, I mean, there's a lot of people like sweating, and it's like really hot when they're having sex, and there's really hot people and all this stuff, whatever. Uh, but specifically, one of the really cool things I remember from Body Heat, one of the touches, is that Kathleen Turner's house has a porch with wind chimes on it. And the wind chimes will blow every now and then, but she points out that it's kind of a lie because there's no breeze. What's triggering the wind chimes is just the heat rising. Uh, and I loved that concept that, you know, they go out, you know, that you hear the wind chimes and you think it's going to be a, a nice cool breeze going. No such thing. Uh, well, so she, they, had her body temperature runs a little high. And it makes the wind chimes. She's making the wind chimes chime. Yep. Yep. If you know what I mean. I do, Kelly Wan. It's a great movie. Oh, I do, isn't it? I don't it know is. It's summery. It's a little goofy. Uh, no, it's very. It's like it's all hot and summery. It's on the beach. You know, they have the scene. I think with a snow cone at a at an open one of those band shell places where they're playing music. Um, no, it's very summery. Uh, and and some of the like sexual flirtation stuff is a little silly. Um, See, I want to be in a film noir because I think I would know when to stop fucking the film fatality. <laughs> Exactly. Like, this the is Kelly the last time. That would be a terrible film noir then, Kelly Wong. Well, no, yeah, it's more for about me than the audience. <laughs> more of a porno for me. It would be like a film blanc. They always stay one fuck too long. Don Johnson, <laughs> one fuck too long. It's like, fuck now. Like, you know which fuck it is so you can tell. Right. Good, yeah. Thanks, oh. Kelly. That, that's fascinating. <laughs> I'll write that down. Kelly Wong, how would you that's have fared... How would you have fared in Chinatown? Um, well, probably like Faye Dunaway. Did, I don't know. So many different ways to answer that question appropriately. All right. I'm, I'm just worried about your nostril. <laughs> oh, that character. Kelly Wand, what is your number one pick for awesome use of summer in a movie? Oh, are, you gonna, are you going to go with Little Darlings? Because that also has Matt Dillon, like Dingus's number three favorite. Yeah, I probably should have. I had a different one. Okay, what did you have originally? And then we'll consider maybe swapping in Little Darlings. I was going to go with Adam's Family Values, because it has like a summer camp scene where they like destroy it and blow it up and burn everyone and murder, everyone, murder all the parents, I think. <laughs> Thanksgiving play. I like your recollection of it. That's how I remember it in my mind. 
Because I didn't like summer camp. I really didn't. I always thought it was annoying, and I found my peers tedious, and I preferred to read. And I remember they bust us to a beach, and they were playing volleyball with these girls in bikinis, and they're like, <laughs> and I'm like sitting off on the sidelines reading The Dead Zone, going, could you guys keep it down? I'm trying to read what it feels like to strangle a waitress. <laughs> so that's why I picked Adam's Family Values. Because it's taught me that the prison, you couldn't escape, but you had to find the right inmate, like the girl version of you. Is reading Dead Zone on the other side. Kelly One, speaking of Dead Zone, did you know that John Carpenter was originally supposed to direct Firestarter? Uh, I think I read movie. And did you know that a young Jennifer Connelly was supposed to be the the little uh, pyrokinetic chick? Did you know that? Uh, She hadn't gotten Iraq yet. Iraq? What? Oh, wait, no, I'm thinking of George C. Scott's character. Never mind. She was fine. <laughs> uh, they, they actually took John Carpenter off of the project after, uh, like, Universal replaced him after The Thing didn't do well at the box office. Hmm. What? Yeah. So John Carpenter was supposed to be, you know, the, he makes The Thing, like, he, he does Halloween and then The Thing, and Universal's like, yeah, you're great, you're awesome, we're, we're putting you on the Stephen King adaptation uh, I think they wanted to have. He wanted to use the this guy from Assault on the Kurt Russell guy that he used in Assault on Precinct Thirteen as his uh, like Indian Maybe assassin character. Oh. Um, the guy that George C. Scott eventually played. Um, and so uh, they have him on that, and you know, the, Jennifer Connelly is going to be the chick, and then the thing comes out and tanks at the box office. Like the thing didn't do well when it first came out. It only later got became sort of like a cult hit. Uh, and they, they yanked him, and they put this other guy, I don't remember his name, but they, they put another guy on, and it became the Drew Barrymore movie that it is now. Then he had to make Starman to prove he was bankable. Yep. I didn't know the chick on Dexter was his daughter. That's how dumb I am. Oh, I didn't know that either. I guess that makes sense, because her last name is Carpenter. Yeah. What? Uh, what would Dingus know her from? Dingus might know her from Quarantine, Quarantine. the remake of Wreck. Yeah. Which uh, chick on Dexter? The sister. Oh, wow, I didn't know that. What's the only chick on Dexter? The, no, the, the, boy, the boyfriend from Dexter is the, uh, is the guy on the bridge in um, Dark Knight Rises. What? What? <laughs> no. The, the military dude on the bridge. That can't be true. The boyfriend? Are you talking about Julie Benn's boyfriend? Who, who Dexter ends up killing? No, he means Desmond Harrington, the guy from Wrong Turn. Yeah, Desmond Harrington. That's Desmond That's Harrington. That's the guy on the bridge. Who's yeah, the guy who says, if you take a step, I'm going to shoot two you. two steps. Who did better, that guy or C. Thomas Howell in Amazing Spider-Man? C. Thomas, C. Thomas Howell. Howell saved the day, if I recall. Yeah. And yeah. the guy that Ding, the guy Dingus likes, which he's just now become, <laughs> blew a 10-foot strip out of a bridge. Which doesn't impress me. Uh, Kelly Wand, I recently rewatched Assault on Precinct 13, uh, which is the original, which John Carpenter did right after uh, uh, Dark, no, Dark Dark Star, Star, the greatest movie ever made. So you 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 guys wanted to like have like you know there was there's plenty of dark gritty stuff in Dark Knight. All that was gone in Dark Knight Rises. But I'm watching Assault on Precinct 13, and what sets the events in motion? Uh, is a robbery of an ice cream truck. Right. Do you remember this, Kelly Wand? Yeah, and the dad 
And do you remember, like, and there's the cute little girl with braids who, if I'm not mistaken, might have been, like, the same little girl from Escape to Witch Mountain. Like, she was, if I'm, she looked like one of those, like, child stars from back then. But just this adorable little girl. She's got to be, like, eight or whatever. And she's got, you know, a little toe-headed chick with with braids. She goes to get an ice cream. And she accident, you know, she she walks away. And then the bad guys are robbing the ice cream truck. And she comes back because there's, like, no sprinkles on her ice cream or something. And she comes around the corner of the truck. She's like, hey, there's no sprinkles on this. And the lead bad guy shoots her and they do the shot with a blood squib and everything on her chest it shoots her through the ice cream cone and i was like whoa you could kill kids back then i know that that was insane um well then it's setting off the plot like then the dad gets enraged by from seeing that and then yeah yeah exactly but i mean you couldn't like she would probably just get winged nowadays if they did uh you know they actually did do a remake of that and i recall a lot of people dying in it but certainly no kids no kids yeah only maria Uh, bello yeah yeah that's a bummer it was it was it was it was a simpler time tom it was yeah it was like bradbury uh where were we so let's Uh, see so your number one is not didn't hold up no, good lord, no. <laughs> really? The, the last fight didn't? Isn't the guy's name Napoleon, yeah. the gangster? Yeah, so the guy, and that's the guy who's going to be the Indian assassin in Firestarter. So the actor's names, what is it? One of them's like, uh, like Dustin Mockler and Austin Stoker. And those aren't even the character names. Those are the actor names. Right. <laughs> uh, but no, those guys are all awful. The chick who would have been played by Adrian Barbeau later, who's supposed to be the tough, hard-bitten chick, is just terrible. The, the the tough guy patter that they have, uh, which, you know, someone like Kurt Russell could do really well, just doesn't work. Uh, the, the most no, All the action sequences are all about, like, violence to Venetian blinds. It's like a guy's trying to crawl in a window, and he gets shot, and the stuntman falls back through the Venetian blinds. And, no, it's terrible. Uh, it's a siege movie. It, you know, and it's kind of cool in concept, just in execution. That it, I, I just think we get spoiled by how movies are shot these days. I can't, I can't watch ancient stuff like that. Uh, it just doesn't work for me. Dark Star, though, I'm telling you. Dark Star, I like watching Dan O'Bannon. He's funny in that. Yeah. But other, otherwise, no. Dark Star, even. It's like, yeah, this is what movies used to be like back then. I wouldn't want to watch it now. No, I can watch that one. All right. I think well, I'm with you because it'll sound pretty thirteen. You're supposed to be it's supposed to be nerve wracking or something. Yeah, like that doesn't work. Or it's supposed to be goofball. Well, it's kind of funny though that they you know they definitely play it where the the besieging gangsters are like zombies. They have no dialogue. Right. They're just this sort of like or voiceless, tactics. silent, wordless, or tactics exactly. Uh, although they do do the thing where they roll these cars towards the front door and like hide behind them like zombies would exactly zombies it, it's very zombie like it is I, i'm almost Next tempted evolution. to put it in the zombie uh genre but so anyway not a summer movie even though a little girl gets ice cream i don't think it's necessarily That's a summer, summer thing it's an la thing la it's always summer like i think it's just by virtue of being set in la uh there's ice cream it could be october that's seasonist of you it really is but that's what i get for living here you Too people soon. You people up in, in Canada have the luxury yes. of having seasons. We don't have that. Anyway, so Kelly Wand, are you? I need your final Sorry. answer. Little Darlings or Adam's Family Values? Adam's Family Values, so I don't All have right. to rewrite anything or think about anything. So, Dingus, here's your chance to pick Little Darlings as the best, awesomest use of summer in a movie. Yeah, are you going to rise? Kelly. Yeah. Are you going to rise to the occasion, Dingus? Like the Dark Knight did. I think I will, since Kelly Wan has already named my number one anyway. I might as well. <laughs> uh-huh. I knew it. I knew it. So it's Grease. 
Uh, no. no. <laughs> so what would be the line from Stand By Me? Um, well, it's it's just a little bit of dialogue. It's, uh, this is a really good time, the most, the best. Actually, no, it's not. That's not that. I can't. It's, th- this is a really good time. <laughs> That's the, the second most, best dialogue. A blast. It's just the, it's just the, it's just them going around. They're sitting in a junkyard, just shooting the shit, and and the three of and the three of them say that say this little di- little bit of dialogue. The, this is a this is really a time. The most a blast, um, and it and it kind of mirror. I mean, I this this takes place in the last days of summer and I, of the summer of 1959, and um, uh, so it's stand by me, obviously. And uh, even though uh, Kelly Wan made fun of me choosing it before I could even choose it, um, I, I just love this movie. I love the way, again, this exists in a bubble for them because for for Chris and Gordy, they're, they're sort of at a different place mentally than their other two friends. Um, and I... And I love all that stuff in the clubhouse. I love that stuff in the junkyard. I love that stuff around the campfire. But even more than that, I love how how Chris, played by River Phoenix, is painfully aware from his point of view that he's never going to go anywhere in life. And he's hoping that his friend Gordy will. And he's aware that at this point, this is the last part of their summer. He knows that in junior high, Gordy, because Gordy has brains and... And people think of him differently is going to be moving on into other classes and hopefully going on into a better life. And he he thinks I'm not going to have that for myself. So Gordy's just going to move on. And I remember not necessarily feeling that way, but because of where I was geographically at that time in my life, knowing that I was going to move on from my friends who were in sixth grade. And sixth grade was still one of my favorite years of of school. Uh, and I had some really good friends and one really, really good friend. And we were going to go to different schools. And I knew at the end of the summer that was it. You know, we would still try to maintain a friendship, but it was never going to be the same. I was moving on to a school that was 30 miles away from the school that he was going to. And I really tapped into that when Chris and Gordy are having those conversations about the fact that we're going to move on. And that's it. So I, I love that that summer movie before junior high school and Stand By Me. Hey, was that the friend who told you about the camera in Blade Runner? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thing is, did you know that Firestarter was originally going to be directed by John Carpenter? Did I don't you know believe that, that that's true. I think that Dark Star was going to be directed by John Carter. Drew Barrymore is Karen Carpenter's daughter. <laughs> Uh, does Stand By Me hold up, Dingus? That's because that's Rob, so you're really into Rob Ra- bleh, Rob Reiner, <laughs> Gary Marshall, and tap. John Hughes. That's right. That's my thing. Who did direct say anything? Is that John Hughes? No, it's Cam- Cameron Crowe. Oh, oh. Well, now yeah. I feel bad for making fun of it. Do you? You should, be, you should feel you bad feel for better. making fun of John Hughes too, because John Hughes is awesome. How dare you? John well, Hughes. John Hughes is awesome if you're in sixth grade. Yeah, Yeah, well, I still am, clearly. (laughs) Uh, For me, Stand By Me holds up because uh, it was an incredibly affecting movie for me. You know, it was 1986. I was like a junior in high school. And this is, and there were things that don't ring true in the movie, like when he says, you never again have friends like you had when you were 12 years old. I think that's a line from the movie. Uh, and I, and when I was sitting there, I was like, no, that's not true. I have really good friends now, and they're just <laughs> as good as my friends then. But I understand the poignancy of losing somebody who's really close to you and understanding that we're just going our separate ways, and nothing is ever going to change that. Um, so Stan 
Stand By Me really does work for me. I think it's a very well-made movie, mm-hmm. uh, and I can watch it again and again in spite of its flaws. But I can't speak to and, – and Say Anything is wonderful, too. I could watch that again and again. I can't, I can't speak to the Fleming Air Kid. So Say Anything is the one where he's an assassin at his high school reunion, right? Absolutely. He gets a pen, <laughs> and then he becomes the DJ of a radio station, and he makes mixtapes. Speaking of DJs at radio stations, let me tell you guys about a movie that does hold up from even... God, I don't know what year this is. 80, maybe? Um, you know what year it is right now? I know right now it's not 1980. I think my number one pick is a movie from 1980. It is, I think, hands down, best use of summer in any movie of all time, and it's including y'all's number one picks. I think it's even better than those, although Dingus has a slightly different criteria that would make this movie ineligible for his list. Um, I rewatched this, and I'm, I'm astonished at how well it holds up. It's a fantastic bit of, I would call it Americana. Um, Dingus has talked about this before, but I haven't seen this probably since it was in theaters. So I rewatched, because I knew it had a summertime angle, uh, I rewatched Do the Right Thing recently. Uh, holy cats, that's still very, very good. Dingus, when's that's the last way time? way later than 1980. Do the Right Thing? Yeah. 1990. Then that's my final offer. It's before the riots, so '89, I think. Actually, I did look it up. So the LA riots were '92. Do the right thing is at least like four years before then, isn't it? Um, Doesn't matter. At any rate, I'm going to call it the '80s. It has very '80s lighting. Uh, it's clearly like lit to be uh, during like a hot time in Brooklyn. Like it's 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 a it, it starts with Samuel L. Jackson doing the radio station talking about how it's going to be hot. There's even shots of like the news, all these New York newspapers talking about the heat wave. Um, there's a shot of Rosie Perez sticking her face in a sink full of ice. There's a sequence with a, a shaved ice vendor coming down the street. There's a, a sequence where they open a fire hydrant and everybody's playing in the fire hydrant. Uh, there are lots of people cracking beers, and uh, it's all about how it's really hot and people looking for, like, refreshment. Uh, and the, the the idea of a summer and the suppressive heat feeds into the riot that eventually erupts. Um, but I love the way that Spike Lee shoots it. I mean, considering it was only, like, his third movie, it has this amazing self-assurance to it. Uh, and the way he strings together little vignettes, it's all during the course of one day. You know, it's a very pressure cooker movie in terms of the the characters and the geography and the time um uh i also didn't remember the the cast list was coming up you know the credits uh has the cast before the movie starts and i'm seeing all the actors names and going oh yeah danny aiello john turturro uh richard edson and then giancarlo esposito's name comes up uh who we recently all know from of course chupacabra terror <laughs> uh, he was also in, I think, that show Breaking Bad. Uh, so I'm watching it, waiting for Giancarlo Esposito to come out. And near the end of the movie, he still hasn't showed up. And I'm like, wait a minute, what happened to Giancarlo Esposito? But then I realized that he was a character I had been watching for a while and did not recognize because he's so expressive. I mean, Giancarlo Esposito's thing now is to be this kind of cool, collected, calculating guy. But he is so – his character's name is something like Bugging Out. And it's appropriate because he's just so energetic and his face is so animated and he's got crazy hair and big, thick glasses. And it was just fascinating seeing this young 
fiery Giancarlo Esposito performance uh, in Do the Right Thing. But I just love the summerness of it and how it feeds into the riot and how Spike Lee shoots it to make it look hot and how he has all these scenes about people talking about the heat and reacting to the heat. Uh, so that's my number one pick. Uh, Dingus, had you seen that recently? I watched it when we did the color red. Yeah, I think. yeah that, that big wall. You mentioned that big wall that the three old men stand in front of or sit in front of. Yeah, right. Uh, and you made made fun of me when I mentioned all of their names because one of them's like Sweet Dick Willie. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, that 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 made my short list, but didn't meet my Get criteria. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I love that movie. I, I don't think some of the acting really holds up, but the overall filming of it is phenomenal. And that, that sense of heat and the oppression of the heat in the city and what that heat is doing. I mean, it's clearly a summer movie and what that he's doing to the, the situation that's going on and, and what makes the violence happen is is phenomenal. So I fully support that pick. What I think actors, Do the Right Thing is a great pick. And what actors do you not like in that? From now, I don't know. I'm... Uh, I, and you know when you bring it when you bring up bugging out maybe I don't know I I think I'm, I don't well here's always be it's too affected for to, I don't always buy into what Spike Lee is doing. Um, to be fair though, a lot of it is exaggerated. I mean, they're definitely exaggerated characters and they're shot in an exaggerated way. Uh, you know, Bill Nunn I think is Radio Rahim is you know, and they've got all these monologues straight to the camera. I mean, it's almost like and this is before comic books were really made into movies uh, it's almost like a comic book thing like where he will use a, a predominant color or he'll tilt the frame and he'll have he'll do weird things too like he'll he'll have a two shot of two characters talking and he will move the camera around to where you are one of the characters and the other character is speaking directly into the camera but then the camera moves out of the way, and the other character's standing there. Like he, he's doing weird things with shifting point of view, like who the audience is looking at through whose eyes you're seeing it. Um, so, there, so there's definitely some exaggerated things that I can think maybe that like some of those performances don't work for you because they're playing to that exaggerated sensibility. Right, and I think Mar- I think isn't Martin Lawrence in it? Yes, Martin Lawrence is in it and doing this weird kind of lisping thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think he drives me a little bit nuts. Um, and I think what you're talking about, too, I still think it's one of the best movies of 1989, and it is definitely 1989. Okay, okay. Uh, and that was a hugely good year for movies. Um, but I, whenever I think of that movie, all I can think about is what the colors look like because it's so beautiful. And it just it starts with this bizarre dance sequence that's wonderful but weird. That's how um, they used to dance back then, I guess. Yeah, Uh, the scene. There's a scene where Spike Lee is making out with Rosie Perez, and he goes into the kitchen to get some ice cubes, and then he comes back and he's rubbing ice cubes all over her. And it reminded me of of Ben Affleck with Liv Tyler and Animal Crackers in Armageddon. See, good job. (laughs) So, what time is it? All the races are the same. If you guys have problems with movies written by Tony Gilroy, the director of, you know, the the creative mind behind the Bourne trilogy, then, you know, that's your own bag. (laughs) Martin Lawrence is like a black Keanu Reeves. (laughs) (laughs) Now, see, you guys, like, I like Martin Lawrence in the Bad Boy movies. There's at least the first Bad Boy movie. Uh, I don't like Bad Boys, too. but, But Martin Lawrence and Will Smith have something going in Bad Boys. I like parts of the second Bad Boys. I like that shootout. There's a lot of killing in it. There's a lot of headshots. 
See, when like you're that. when you're rated R, you can do that. Yeah. But they're not very bad. They're just they're just douchebags. <laughs> well, the title is strictly so they can use that song from the theme from Cops, that reggae song that plays from during 10 Cops. Ten years earlier. <laughs> Uh, all right, so that's not a summer movie, though, Kelly Wan. You're not supposed to talk about it. Your pick made me want to change my number one to Dog Day Afternoon. You know, because that's a summer thing, too, isn't it? Yeah. that's, a, that's And a it's good. all about the, sort of the pressure cooker reaction that the, the crowd has to the yeah. heat and standing out there. Yeah, yeah. And it's another one-day movie where the whole yep. movie takes place in a day. Because otherwise they couldn't give it that name. What? Uh, it would be Dog Day Afternoons. Oh, Right, that movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the dog night. Uh, run. Uh, so other runners-up besides Dog Day Afternoon and uh, Little Darlings? Uh, see, there's so many different movies. Because summer's when you lose your virginity. If you think about it. Then you, mm, I, you I'm pretty it? sure mine was in the smack dab in the middle of the school year. Ah, smack dab. That's my favorite way to lose it. But ideally, you want to lose it to Olivia Thirlby. So I was kind of thinking that's the summer version Lost Queen movie, but then also Mischief was kind of a good one with uh, Kelly Preston. Kelly Wand, if we were to remake Little Darlings, who would be the two leads? Oh, such a good question, Mark. Okay, give that some thought. Dingus, any runs-up? Okay, Thoroughby, <laughs> go ahead, and, yes? I go, we talk to Dingus, let me think about okay. it. Okay. <laughs> Dingus, runners-up for summer movies? Uh, I wanted to choose Point Break, but I don't know if that's just L.A., and L.A. is always summer. I think like yeah, when it goes Allison. to catch the perfect wave, is it? Oh, sorry, Kelly's ready to come back in. Sorry, Allison Bailey from G4. I don't know who that is, but okay. Uh, or Allison Bree from or Allison Pill. I know who that one is. Uh, okay, go back to Doug. So, because I was thinking too, like uh, as far as like showing heat and humidity, I loved Peter Weir's um, Year of Living Dangerously. Like, but that's not necessarily summer. That's just what happens when you have political intrigue in, I don't know, Indonesia somewhere. Um, right. So that's one that I thought of as well. But yeah, so I don't, I don't know the point. I think you're right about Point Break being just L.A. Uh, so let's see. So Kelly, one, who's our new cast? Allison Pill. I don't know if Jennifer Lawrence has the naughtiness. She's a little too old too. She's like 22. I don't think you can go to summer camp when you're 22. Who was my first one? Uh, Olivia. Th- <laughs> Olivia Thirlby, right. Right, Olivia Thirlby, yeah. And just another Olivia Thirlby. <laughs> so Olivia Thirlby digitally doubled. Like, it's like a Dead Ringers thing. I've uh, thought about this a, a lot, Tom. It was such a studio executive moment. It was my first one. <laughs> I know. It's the best bad idea we have. The, the one I was going to choose that is just just has scenes in the summer um, yeah. is a little movie called Brokeback Mountain. Yes, well, you know what? That's that was a good one too because the summer, uh, you know, has, summer has look, for them. It doesn't look yeah. like summer in that movie, though, to me. That's it doesn't I matter. Like. That those are their summers, or you know, it, it's that very much. Are, are you going to do this again next summer? Yeah. Um, and I it totally understand matter. that that summer romance kind of a deal. Kelly, one, if we were to recast Brokeback Mountain, <laughs> who would you pick for that? Dingus and uh, Sean Penn. <laughs> All right, Dingus, when can you start shooting? Or Tom Hardy and Chris. I just did. (laughs) Ah, see? Dingus wins. Uh, Kelly Wan, speaking of winning, what do you have for us next week for a three-by-three? Oh, I'm very excited about this topic that I'm not doing instead of this time. So instead we're doing this one. It's the three awesomest countdown timers. (laughs) 
You're welcome, <laughs> slaves. <laughs> That's what we're doing. <laughs> Fuckwad. Are you going to take anything okay. off the counter like a movie that Tom I... just brought up a minute ago? I'll take Olivia Thirlby off, but put <laughs> her back on again. Twice as hot. Anyone, can I use the same movie three times? Sure. <laughs> Was it all McGruber's? <laughs> okay, so... uh, I'm going to let you. I'm going to allow countdown timer sequences to serve as examples, but if you really just... I really want you to stick on the timer itself, like it's designed. Oh, this is like a button, kind of, like Tom's levers and buttons. This is the actual timer itself. Uh, no, it's nothing like that, uh, sir. It, this is, we're talking about needles and digital numbers. And needles? red alphanumerics. Yeah, if there's like a needle needles. in the red. All right, wait, we're not talking about needles. What, did, about what was the first one I said? Temperature? <laughs> yeah. yeah, like temperature. a dial. Yeah, does a temperature or like does a does a thermometer does that count no forget that no it doesn't count that's a stupid idea three famous olivia thurlby timers. timers awesomest please right. keep in mind the adjective awesomest countdown timers uh good all right so we will do that next week <laughs> and we will be seeing the watch yay i see the parallels Maybe there will be countdown timers in that movie. Uh, okay, so I yeah I, I I'm looking forward to any watch countdown timers. Uh, Kelly, what? How about that little weird dial thing from Dark Knight's Neutron Bomb? Because that had a timer in the middle of it, but then there was yeah. a ring that would slowly deplete. Yeah, they never showed the ring again, though. They showed it twice, like once really full, and then once when it was almost empty. And I was like, oh. They probably could have put footage in there of the ring emptying out. You know what? Maybe I'm going to use that for next week. So Plus, the ring uh-huh. was also the shape of the pit, so it reminded you that there was another countdown. And Kelly Wan, what did that represent? Uh, the zero percent of interest I had in the outcome. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> Uh, all right, so join us next week for The Watch and a 3x3 three three of our favorite countdown timers, which may or may not include the round thing from Dark Knight. I am Tom Chick. Rises. I'm joined... Dark Knight. Oh, yeah, Rises. Thank you. I don't want to mistake those. Uh, I've been joined by Christian Milzanski. It's the Christian Morosky. And Kelly Wand. Rises equals zero. Do it. Well, the the, the Oh yeah, I know if somebody thinks that the best Batman is Michael Keaton. I thought maybe it's a generational thing. There's probably that one dude who thinks Adam West was the, was the shit. All these new ones are weak. He has a good case now. After this weekend. On Dingus. Even Dingus. I'd set you up with the chimpanzee. <laughs>